You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Caitlin, Rodney, Mark, Patrick, Towner, a full house on the Beltway Briefing. And nothing to talk about. Nothing. Nothing's going on in the world. Nothing to talk about. Rodney, your party looks to me like it's imploding. Do tell. Well, I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily call it a party uh, that is imploding. It's just a certain small segment elected members of Congress that decided to decided to blow the place up. I mean they're they're no different than the far left of the Democratic Party that you know Mark and Patrick worship at the altar of. And in the end, uh, these are the types of people that got elected, that got elected by their constituency on a message of really blowing Washington up. And Matt Gates, uh, he has no intention of governing. And we saw what the end result of that was by him being the first ever sitting member of Congress to use a motion to vacate to get rid of a current speaker, Kevin McCarthy. And that is the first time it's ever happened in our nation's history. We're in uncharted waters. But the problem, Rodney, is who Matt Gates is taking his cues from and who he's emboldened by, because neither did the last president of the United States and apparently your next nominee for president of the United States. Neither did he have any intention of governing. He's he's Matt Gates in presidential form, oh, as I far can, as I can, I'm concerned. I, I, I can argue that we, we governed well when President Trump was in office, got the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. We were one vote away from actually fixing our broken health care system. Bills that I helped negotiate, bills that I helped, correct, or helped uh, create. So uh, plenty of we got the we got the CARES Act in the in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he wasn't a governing president. Frankly, if the choice between working with the Trump administration and Biden administration, I'd pick the Trump administration any day. Well, you know, I, you know, you know. I will say this: I do not like our party, my Republican Party's revisionist history on Trump being having anything to do with all of those things. Congress functioned decently during the Trump administration to pass all of those uh-huh. things, despite Donald Trump. And what we have here with the the current gang of eight uh, in the negative in the House that voted against uh, uh, McCarthy are people who take a hostage. They're not even willing to shoot the hostage. They shoot themselves. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. <laughs> Rodney, I, I I beg to differ because passing a tax bill is not governing. It's passing a piece of legislation. The president has a, the president's job is to execute. And he I mean, we don't have to spend the whole podcast on Trump, except that to me, what we're seeing now is a vestige of Trump. And Trump has emboldened these wackos that actually do want to blow the place up because guess what? He wanted to blow the place up and he blew you up. So I'm not expecting for you to sit here and answer to Trump answer for Trump. But Mark, to me, this is, this is what happens when you elect somebody who's uncorked. 
Well, add to that, Howard, that those eight <clears throat> wackos, as you called them, joined every single House Democrat. She of course, Caitlin, because them. why should they play ball? Towner taught me this. Sorry, I don't mean to talk over you, but why should they play ball? Why should they play ball? Why shouldn't they let this party implode on itself? We are Democrats' fault. This is all the Democrats' fault. <laughs> I just want to be—I want to be true to the historical record before I get into the rhetorical part of the program. Yes, Rodney, there are members of the Democratic Party who are farther left than the majority of the party. But when Nancy Pelosi was speaker, she had a smaller majority even than Kevin McCarthy had, and she held those members in her caucus. So the the idea that this is just what happens and you've got wackos and we've got wackos isn't the way it happened, in fact, when our party had the majority. We acted as a as a caucus and as a majority, and she held the wackos, uh, if you will, in her in her uh, majority and and held the speakership. So yeah. I, exactly. I, I go ahead, Patrick. Your turn. I want to add something <laughs> else too, because our friends on the right love to criticize like European style everything. If this is the Democrats' fault and what Caitlin just said, that they all voted against it, it feels like what I've been hearing all week is that you want a coalition-style government, that you wanted Democratic votes to give you guys a functioning majority with your speaker, but we're prepared to offer absolutely nothing for it. And I just find that hilarious. You guys are such a bunch of babies. Like, if you want to be in the majority, <laughs> pick your speaker— and govern the house, or give the gavel to Hakeem and get out of the way. Like I don't know what the heck we're talking about. That this is the Democrats' fault. You guys are nuts, and you can't get your house together. And I'm not talking about you three a little bit. You three, you guys are kind of nuts. <laughs> but the gang is completely nuts, and that's not my fault. That's not Mark's fault. That's not Hakeem Jeffries' fault. That's not the Democratic Caucus's fault. No, so figure it out. It's it's absolutely not. But the. Two things that you mentioned, Republicans being nuts, and especially a group of Republicans being nuts, and Democrats uh, not acting in their own self-interest don't have to be dispositive in this particular case. Because what Democrats did was ensure themselves there will be no Ukraine funding, number one, in doing that. And not line up with a speaker that's a lot less moderate and more conservative than what we just what they just got rid of. They also have probably ensured themselves. Uh, Rodney and I have mentioned this in the past that we're probably going to have a government shutdown for a very long time on November 17th, which is something Democrats don't want at all and Republicans don't really care about at all. And so if you were voting in your policy interest, actually, Democrats probably would have been better served to work to keep McCarthy yeah, in. But I all, get politics is all politics. I'm negotiating with you guys. Everything is like, if you don't do this, then the whole world's going to blow up. The same thing happens with the debt limit. You know, I understand that Democrats have to provide votes all the time to make sure that government continues to function properly. And then Republicans go on Fox News and criticize Democrats for spending too much and doing all this stuff. 
And that's just the way it is. And it's Charlie Brown, the football, and I get sick of it, but there's nothing I can do about it. But then you spend providing votes to give you guys your speaker. That's ridiculous. And Rodney, you said it when you're touching. You guys would never in a million years contemplate doing that for a Democratic speaker. Wouldn't happen. So I don't even know what we're talking about. But when I turn on cable news and when I listen to all my Republican friends all week, they're more mad at the Democrats than they are at themselves for the situation they find themselves in. I don't get it. I I think whoever you're watching on cable news is probably not the majority of the Republican Party, as is continually the problem uh, for the Republican Party. And uh, I can guarantee you that the bulk of the House Republican Conference is very upset at the eight members and not as much nearly upset at the Democrats. They could frankly care less about the Democrats. They're really irritated about the eight members. Matt Gates out of his crummy office in canon or whatever it is instead of like throwing Pelosi and Hoyer out of their capital hideaway. Like what well, they didn't about? first of all, can we set the record straight on the Democratic crybaby uh, headline of the week about being thrown out of your offices? Those offices were for the immediate past speaker and she is no longer the immediate past speaker. And you guys contributed really, a con- I don't really care. I don't Patrick, you should be Tanner, you should call Patrick a baby now. Bye, Felicia. Exactly. Like, get out of your office I'm... because you are the second most immediate past speaker at this point. You are not the immediate past speaker. Uh, Felicia's I, not I, on this podcast. If, <laughs> if I was still in Congress and running the House Administration Committee, I would have argued with Kevin McCarthy to kick him out before this happened. Uh, but Kevin actually treated the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Leader Jeffries, a lot better than I witnessed him being treated by them. Look, Republicans are blaming Republicans. There's no, there's, there's no whoa, 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 whoa. He yeah. asked him to an office in the Capitol after he was done, even though God knows we all found out he didn't deserve that or a lot of other things. I think he got to hang around. I mean, I don't understand what what's different about what giving Pelosi a hideaway. Who this got is. This Look, is a sideshow. This is this is a sideshow. Right. This is right. who cares about the office. This is not the issue. Patrick, the issue is well, what the issue is the country. Patrick wants to go to the Capitol office. I'll take you in another one, Patrick. It's I'm okay. Nerdery. Here we go, <laughs> Caitlin. Where do we go? Where where do the Republicans go from here? Because I mean, now we've got Scalise and um, Jim Jordan running for Speaker. You have Trump endorsing. Jordan, um, and I, I don't himself. see how I don't see how either of them gets to two eighteen. So where do we go from here? Look, I think it's going to be probably a long slog next week. They meet Tuesday night as a conference. It looks like now Brett Baer from Fox News is, which is very bizarre, is moderating a speaker debate. Um, behind closed doors on Tuesday. But really where we need to go from here, Howard, is you know, 40, a, a collection of a wide range, not just moderate Republicans. There's a group of 45 House Republicans this morning that set, sent a letter saying that they will not endorse a speaker candidate until the party agrees to change the rules back on the motion to vacate. This is really where McCarthy hurt himself in allowing this rules change. It is horrible for the institution. One single member should not be able to bring a motion to vacate. And what we need to see is a change back to the rules to reinstate and get rid of the chaos that we're seeing in the party right now. But 
I don't think it's going to be a quick, easy, you know, vote next week. Rodney, I mean, I know we've been talking all week about, I hope it is. I hope for the sake of the party, they get it together. They coalesce. They pull, you know, some of those eight that have already said they're supportive of one or the other. And they stop with the circus. They stop with the sideshow. We had a big win on Saturday when we got a 45-day continuing resolution to fund government for the American people, a big bipartisan win that cost Speaker McCarthy his speakership. And we need to focus on governing. And McCarthy made a number of bets that he ended up losing. He bet he could give the Freedom Caucus that motion to vacate and survive it. Turns out he lost that bet. He made a bet over the weekend that he could work with Democrats to get the the CR done and then go out on the Sunday programs and blast Democrats for what I'm still not clear and placate his wackos. And he he lost that bet. The idea that Democrats were going to work with him after that performance on Sunday and when, so far as I am told, no one reached out and said, as Patrick is saying, look, we got to govern here. I need your votes. What do you need to keep this place working? And I would just say, and Rodney, you were there, uh, Towner was there, so you guys may have a, a more immediate perspective, but I believe, I've been told by many members who lived through it, that Pelosi was prepared to save Boehner if this had happened to him, because there was a relationship and because they could work together. Nobody was prepared to save McCarthy. Well, I, I will tell you, from what Kevin has said publicly, what he said privately, that same commitment was made to him before he accepted the one person motion to vacate to be speaker. Um, that promise was not lived up to. Um, does Nancy Pelosi have a better relationship with John Boehner than Kevin McCarthy? Of course, absolutely. Um, look, Republicans are responsible for governing their majority and we didn't do it. Uh, I would have been very frustrated if I was still there. I would have likely been one of those who stood up and gave a, a speech in defense of Kevin that, that he would have asked to do so. Uh, I, it, it broke my heart to see what he went through. But in the end, I and everybody there knew that this was a possibility because of certain individuals who are still serving in Congress who would rather go down in history being known for the person who took a speaker out rather than be known in history as somebody who actually governed and that is a major problem. Howard, you are correct. Patrick, you are correct. Mark, you are correct. Towner, you're half correct. Caitlin, always <laughs> correct. Um, we have a major problem in our party, and it is our job to deal with it. However, however, a party like the Democrats cannot stand up and say that they are for, they are for um, governing this country. They are for limiting chaos in this country. They are the backstops. When given the opportunity to ask for something, they chose not to, and they looked the other way. I'll tell you, as a former executive branch person, having been through this on that side of the fence, when this is going on, you're just sitting there laughing. because, And you're like, 
you're thrilled because guess what? All those meetings you had to run up to the hill, all that sucking up you had to do to people in the house, all those things you had to answer for, all the hearing, all the hearings you had to prepare for are off the table or postponed. It's this is fundamentally weakening the institution. And we don't want I, I it is now. I don't want the institution weakened. We don't. None of us on this podcast want that institution weakened. The eight people, Towner. You know, I I'm a big fan of just things happening. It's fun, and you know what? Yeah. You can't tell me that all six of us on this podcast haven't enjoyed every second of the last two weeks. You know, even if it frustrates us. We still feel the blood coursing through our veins because crazy stuff is happening in Congress uh, and, and we actually dig it. Yes, because any, any event that allows us to text about the cannon revolt of 1910 exactly. is a great event. You guys are <laughs> killing me. Exactly. But, so, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is not the craziest thing that has happened in the history of Congress. It will not be the craziest thing that has happened in the history of Congress. We will get through this as well. But you know what this does do for me is drives us a lot closer to the parliamentary body that we are now, not the two-party system that we are now. And so something had to come to a head. Whether this is the head that it comes to, I have no idea. But something has to come to a head because Republicans are fractured. Democrats, if they were in the majority, would be dang near close to fractured probably as well. Pelosi did a great job of holding them together, but Pelosi's not going to be the speaker if Democrats win back the House. And so, you know, you can talk about Pelosi authoritarian. I don't know that that's good for the institution, quite frankly, either, because I think that went a little bit too far in the other direction. There are big differences. There's a big difference between policy disagreements within a caucus and a desire just to undermine the institution and governing. And look, I'm no apologist for AOC and the progressives on the left, but I I think it's I think it's different. And Towner, I mean, I I understand what you're saying. Yes, it's exciting and fun to watch on one level, but it's bad for the we also know enough to know that it's not good for the country. And yeah, maybe it has to happen. How's it not good for the country? The country doesn't care. At the end of the day, the country doesn't care. People don't like Congress. I, They're not going to start liking Congress and then hate them again. I, Everybody I, hates I, Congress. Everyone's, everyone's going to be like, oh, Congress isn't going to be functional for the next couple of weeks. And the American people are going to be like, oh, wow. No, yeah, I, no, I know because they all like well, reality television. And this is the reality television to make up a word right. of politics. But Towner, I'll tell you how it's bad for the country. Our standing in the world takes a huge hit. Everybody watches us. Still, the entire world watches what the United States does. And we look like absolute morons to the rest of the world. And we're about to look even dumber after years of a couple of years of rallying Ukraine aid. All of a sudden, the tap's going to be turned off and we're going to look like idiots even more. Hmm. So who I did, think who did that again? We had covered this topic, I think. Who did that? I don't know. Why did all Democrats vote against somebody who is going to move Ukraine aid? I don't know. I can just go back to this point. It's not about Democrats having to vote for Speaker McCarthy. All they had to do was take a walk. 
or vote present. Fair enough. Take a walk. Only a handful. We're not asking for Hakeem Jeffries and his entire caucus to vote for Speaker McCarthy. We needed a handful to take a walk. They couldn't. I hear, I hear you guys. It's messy. Tanya, you're the one that told you, Patrick, and I had a conversation yeah. when McCarthy first got sworn in. You called this. This was going to happen. And you said the Democrats wouldn't. We knew what we knew what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. You knew what was going to happen anyway. I thought at the time that the Democrats might support the devil they know. But it, this is this harms our standing in the world unquestionably. And that matters. Mm. Come on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're darn right I am. Guilty. Proud globalist. Oh, let's talk about well, the rest of the world when Rome is burning. Well, but it's also, as Howard began by saying, and I hate to make this about Trump, but but it is. But it is because this also strengthens his standing. The idea that there might have been another nominee of your party is, I think, gone. I I wish I were wrong. Please tell our audience that there's still some opportunity for someone other than Trump to be on the ballot. But but when things like this happen, I think they just strengthen the guy who is behind most of your problems as a party. And and that's that's bad for the country. If you think he's bad for the country and everybody on this podcast does. I, I don't disagree with you on that one, Mark. That is that is a legit point right there. I totally agree with you. However, to Howard's point, I will say, I don't think this harms our standing in the world. I think this reinforces the fact that we're a democracy and not a dictatorship. You Support for Ukraine funding is right at 50% nationwide. It's about 60, what, two, 3% in the Democratic Party, and it's about 36% in the Republican Party. So you could make the argument that support for Ukraine funding is actually less than 50% nationwide right now when you add the two up. And the problem is support for Ukraine funding within the Beltway, including myself, by the way, and including, I think, just about everybody on this podcast, is 100%. Because we we try to have this Howard Schweitzer globalist view trademark, and um, <laughs> and so you know the the issue is maybe Congress is a little bit out of step with the American people right now and needs to come back to uh, understanding what the American people want. I'll I'll just drop a grenade as I finish my closing statements. Maybe Bidenomics isn't working out for everybody the same way that uh, that the White House thinks it is. Can we talk for a sec about the McCarthy press conference, too, just because it was such a I felt like all of us were kind of mesmerized by it was just exit interview. And I th I thought it was just from a pure entertainment standpoint, like really, there was just a lot to take in. It was kind of amazing watching him up there after everything he had just gone through. But I really liked I thought where he was strongest was talking <clears throat> was when he was pushing back on what it means to be conservative um i just that resonated with me a lot as someone who is is not an ideological conservative but who appreciates the distinction he was trying to make which is that 
I think it's really offensive. And Rodney, you probably feel this way, right? I think it's really offensive to have people run to your right and claim they're more conservative than you because they don't want to govern and they don't want to run the country and they don't want to get in these jobs and then do the stuff you have to do once you're in them. And I just thought McCarthy did a very effective job. I have no idea how many people are watching. It'll probably have no impact. But just as a, a viewer, for me, I thought he really effectively, like he didn't let the reporters get away with kind of making that conservative versus moderate distinction because it's not it's not right. Yeah, he, um, Kevin was our best communicator. And unfortunately, uh, whomever replaces him will not be able to be as strong in that category as Kevin was. And, and you all witnessed what I saw behind the scenes for years with that, that press conference. And, I, you know, Kevin's taken this better than I am. I, I was probably more upset when I saw him the next day in his office than, uh, than he was. Um, and he's going out with his head held high. But what amazes him and what amazes most of us Republicans is that we have a select group of individuals who do whatever they can to keep any bad press about the Biden administration out of the press because they want all the attention. I mean, look, yeah. Joe Biden this week yeah. decided he's for a wall. Right. Yeah. After after he's finally in his administration, finally realizing that we have a border crisis. We have yeah. a migrant crisis. So he's going to do what he said Trump was a moral in doing. He's going to actually build a border structure and spend the money to do it. That hypocrisy is nowhere on any front page right. because Donald Trump coming to Washington, not coming to Washington because of the speaker race, because Matt Gates, Nancy Mace won all the airtime. Mark, respond to that. You look like you wanted to. I want to yeah. hear it because it's <laughs> I think it's a good policy decision by the president. It is a reversal of his previous position. I think if you actually parse what he said, which we all know was a stretch, he said he's still against the wall, but the money has been appropriated, so he's going to spend it. That that didn't really work. It was a nice try. But I think it's a good policy decision, and if you want to blast him for hypocrisy okay get in get in line but it it's a little amusing to me that when he does something that i think we all think is right it, it it's a cause for criticism Mark, don't make me dust off a 2016 edition of the beltway briefing and hear you to hear you talk about the trump's board we have a problem we have a problem, and he's yeah, addressing we do. the problem. Yeah, we yeah. do, but you a lot were vehemently. Yeah, look, I tried. I tried. He tried. I tried. We both tried. I'm, I'm proud to fail with my president it's, in explaining what he's doing. It's hilarious. I mean, the timing is not coincidental. No, the timing it's, is, <laughs> Rodney. To your point, not coincidental. No. So I have to get creative too, Howard, about, I mean, there's the wall element, which to Mark's point, I'm not going to, I mean, it's, it, it is a reversal. You can say it however you want, but yeah, I mean, hundred percent reversal, but then the deportations issue with Venezuela, like they, I think I mentioned you guys yesterday in a text, you know, we do work for a client that is ground zero, like number one responder for the migrant crisis in Chicago, 20,000 
migrants as of this week, a little more than that will be 30,000 by the end of the month. And 80% of those are from Venezuela. We had no, we didn't know what to do with them based on the diplomatic situation in Venezuela. So reinstating deportations, that's, that's going to make a difference um, because that that's what we're seeing, at least in Chicago. And I imagine other big cities as well. That's, that's where they're coming from. It's, it's finally nice to see the blue city leaders that have you know, that have parroted the talking points for why sanctuary city status has been great. It's nice to see them come to their senses and realize that a border surge like we've seen is it costs taxpayers money. So the 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 few that come into places like Chicago and Boston and Philadelphia and others, there's nothing compared to what Texas, Arizona, New Mexico has been going through. But it's good to see people finally realizing it is a problem. I mean, when you have Brandon Johnson, who brought this up to me when I saw him a few weeks ago in uh, in Chicago, that this was his number one issue. When I asked him, you know, what are you dealing with right now? It was the migrant crisis. For him to say, this is a big enough problem for me as a very liberal mayor of Chicago to go to the border, to show that I'm seeing this, to give me justification as to why I'm going against the values and principles I laid out as a liberal Democrat for years, I think it shows that we in this country are becoming uh, not immune to what's happening at our border. And frankly, what that means to most Republicans is that Trump was right all along. So why are Democrats doing this now? One one thing on the migrant crisis, too, is we're talking about it. Like, I drove around Chicago yesterday at the advice of my client to a couple specific places to just kind of see. They had told me, listen, we do soup kitchen meals outside the archdiocese every day at four. If you drive by after lunch, watch how many families are lined up waiting to get their first meal. They start lining up at like one o'clock. There's kids playing in the streets. These are busy roads in Chicago. And it's, I mean, it's totally unsafe. And, and but you're, you go to any police station in any ward in Chicago, the families are just lined up outside. The the one thing separate from the politics, and it it bothers me when it doesn't come up, is just the humanity of the entire thing. And it is really sad seeing all these families with kids that are the same age as my kids, and they've left war-torn countries. They don't know what to do. I am not advocating for America taking every single family in. I understand we need a different policy and what we have is ineffective. But man, some of the stuff I was seeing, I hadn't driven downtown and like looked at it. It really was heartbreaking to see. And I just feel like that gets lost sometimes in the just political back and forth of, you know, you don't care about the border crisis and you don't care about the migrants. It's just it's just sad. It, it is sad, but I, I would urge everyone who sees that sadness in a city like Chicago, go to Eagle Pass, Texas. Go down to the border itself, and, and you witness the human trafficking that's happening on a daily basis. And it is it is immoral to allow that to stand to then get the to get them to the cities like Chicago, where you witness the sadness on a much smaller level. That's why I'm, I'm look. I'm glad Joe Biden has reversed course on dealing with the border. I just wish it would have happened sooner because families would have been in a better place. Well, this is why we need a functional House of Representatives, a functional Congress, and a functional president. Yeah, but the Democrats screwed that up. They didn't vote for McCarthy. 
They didn't what? Well, the Democrats screwed that up. They didn't vote for McCarthy. It's all their fault. Right. Yeah. Um, Rocky, were you in the House when the Senate sent immigration reform over? No. That's, a, that's a genuine question. I'm not no. trying to make a cheap point. But we had an opportunity <clears throat> once upon a time in this exactly. country to fix this. Yeah. And the counter was in the House. I also remember the time the Democrats tanked George W. Bush's immigration reform because they wanted a campaign issue as well. So and that, that, that is a lot what of what we're talking about. The, the, yeah. Senate, the Senate did send it over, send uh, a bill over, I think, in 2013. Would have been my freshman. Was it 13 or was it? Was I it think it, it was right after Obama's reelection. So yes. it, would have been yeah, it was it was 13. So, yeah, I was there. And, and absolutely. Um, you know what? Republicans and Democrats, I've said this before. The new third rail of politics, it's never going to get solved is immigration. Um, Obama could have done it. I mean, you just didn't need the first two years just for health care. You could have you could have walked and chewed gum at the same time. He wanted this issue for the presidential race. He got the issue. He thought then it would pass. Republicans then were against uh, putting it on the floor once it came from the Senate. And then I would argue, too, Democrats had a shot to actually get immigration policy changed with Trump. We had good lat one and good lat two, which were two very good compromise bills. That would have uh, that that would have stopped what we're seeing right now to a certain extent. So this is not a Republican problem. No, it's a bipartisan it, problem. It's a bipartisan failure over decades, frankly, yeah. to well, to fix a central problem in the republic. What has to down, happen? Immigration will never be solved in Congress because it comes down to one question and one question only: Is there a pathway to citizenship? And the two parties disagree on that. They have disagreed on yeah. that for going on 30 years now uh, of recent legislative work, and they will never find an agreement on that. There is never- Why is that, Towner? Because Republicans don't believe there should be an automatic no. pathway to citizenship, and re Democrats do. Yeah, why? Barely. Why? Hold on, hold on, why? Yeah. Why? Because Republicans believe that if you cross over the border illegally, you shouldn't be rewarded with an automatic pathway to citizenship, and Democrats say, if you're here- Why? Because Why? they don't want because they don't want votes on the other side of the aisle. Well, they also no because Hispanics yes. are actually turning out for Republicans in in a pretty big way. They turned out for Trump in a big way. I you know I think it started there, but they also don't want the situation at the border. If you offer a pathway to citizenship, then people will try to come into this country by any means humanly possible, which we are seeing at the border right now. If you offer. Hey, I'm not against asylum for Venezuelans. I worked on TPS for Venezuelans in the early 2000s. I was actually, my boss, who was a Republican, drafted the first DACA bill. I helped draft the DACA that the Democrats use today it's not as about a legislative it. vehicle. So, like, this is something where there's so many nuances, but it comes down to that fundamental question. And at the end of the day, you can have a 500-page immigration bill that Republicans and Democrats agree on, and they disagree with literally one line of one page. Caitlin? I was just going to take a little bit of a more hopeful approach on this one. Look, there is a, yes, I hear you, Towner. This is absolutely one of the most polarizing issues, but just want to flag, because we've been working on this with a couple of clients, Congresswoman Maria Salazar and Veronica Escobar have a very robust bipartisan immigration reform bill called the Dignity Act, which takes a really creative approach to looking at this issue. 
provides more border wall funding than, than has ever been appropriated, secures the border, um, encourage, mandates E-Verify, and creates a path for folks that have been here for seven years or more. So this is not this is not an incentive for folks that just crossed over the border, but that also would help address many of the workforce challenges that pretty much all of our clients are facing right now, would speed up the asylum process, would allow asylees here to get immediate work authorization while they're being processed. And look, I'm I'm I think the youngest one on this on this call. On this briefing, I've got hope that we can solve this issue. We have to. Patrick, to your point, it absolutely is an awful humanitarian crisis. There's a way to do this. And there are good, serious members of the House of Representatives that are working on this issue. And I hope to see it go somewhere. Caitlin uh, just called us all old. Did you guys hear that? She called us old. She called us out, Mark. Time for a new generation. Patrick hung up because he was so offended. By the way, I agree with Caitlin. Time for a new generation. Well, I on that hopeful note, I mean, I I can't I can't accept the reality of an issue that people say is that you guys are sitting here saying is one of our most important and critical issues being unsolvable. Like what are we like? We might as well all go home, which I guess not, is what we're going to do. Not unsolvable. Fixing Social Security and Medicare is not unsolvable. It's just there's a lack of political will to make that decision. Okay. So, and this is fundamentally about how we get there. It, and it's, it's about politics and, and each side choosing to want to use an issue for their own political gain rather than what's best for the country. And that will not change. Well, something's got to give, and we will uh, be stay. We will stay tuned. It's going to be a hell of a week. We'll see how things shake out. I don't see a path to speakership for either of the candidates that's that's running now. We'll see what happens, but I think. Connor, maybe to your point, this all has to happen. I mean, it has to happen. To We got to shake out what's wrong with our politics. And hopefully, hopefully all of this leads to us being in a better place where we can actually solve, solve some problems. Keeps going this way. I'm going to be a dang Democrat, but I'm going to hate, hate the Republicans. And Mark's going to be a Republican. So, you know, I got, uh, well, I was with you halfway. But <laughs> Listen, I've, I've interviewed Mark and Sue Allen on this question. They <laughs> actually are Republicans on certain issues. I'm a, I'm a TR Republican. I'm going back to the I'm a bull moose Republican. <laughs> on, on April 15th of every year, Mark is a Republican. Caitlin doesn't remember the bull moose party, but. Towner, Rodney, and I do, and I'm a bull moose Republican. <laughs> All right, that's what, that's what Republicans should do: is switch election day to April 15th. They'd win 100 percent of the time. Well, well <laughs> for the governing party. <laughs> it's interesting that we ended on immigration because it's kind of, I think, as we're saying, the encapsulation of where yeah. we find ourselves politically. Hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. Uh, I think we broke it down um in a very interesting way and 
stay tuned. We'll have more in the coming weeks as things develop. And Rodney, Caitlin, Patrick, Mark, Towner, we'll be back. Thanks all. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.